On this episode of Dweeb Dive, we're right back at it with continuing the campaign of Call of Duty Modern Warfare and the quote-unquote second half of that. So let's go ahead and batten down those hatches and... Dive, dive! Bravo 6, going dark. What's going on, everyone? It's Austin, joined by my co-host, as always, Connor. We are amid quarantine with COVID-19 out there. So, Connor, how are we living in pandemic times? Well, Austin, I uh, I thought I was one of the beautiful people, as Patrick Starr would say. But uh, alas, I was not. I <laughs> It is highly likely that I contracted coronavirus and have been suffering the effects uh, for a couple days. <laughs> hey. I also am recording this in a an apartment with thin walls uh, to my neighbors that can definitely hear me. Sorry, guys. <laughs> <laughs> no, honestly, it it's still not. The jury's not out. I had illnesses for like basically a month and a half straight, just random coughs, sneezes, and you know bodily aches. So I'm not really sure. Uh, the way the health department described it to me when they called me was, hey. Highly likely that you uh, were exposed to it, but since you're 26, you're young, and you live alone, just continue <laughs> doing what you do on most weekends anyway, you loser. <laughs> nice, dude. That sounds pretty governmental. <laughs> they didn't governmental. say that last part. Are we, but... are we sure? They didn't? Uh, no, they didn't say that, dude. Shut up. Oh, okay. Uh, okay. We'll talk about it anyway, later, Anyway, I told them I have a girlfriend, but she lives in Canada. Uh, <laughs> but she's, re- I mean, she's real. She's real. Yeah, yeah, dude. Yeah. So, I mean, I guess Corona, it's... It's not that crazy. The crazy thing is the social responsibility we have to people that are immunocompromised or elderly, you know, all that good stuff. But since I live alone, I mean, really for me, it was just kind of like a bad flu. Yep. That's it. Well, that's good. And hopefully you didn't contract it until after you left my place of residency where we had a dweeb gathering of what, like nine of us. So hopefully that... uh, I think you guys would have... I think we would have started would have by been now. Feeling it. Yeah, I, I mean, yeah, right. And the other part, like my wedding. Well, one super lucky that my wedding happened before this touchdown in the United States. Shout out for yeah. coronavirus <laughs> for being the being a, a guy, being a dude on that, and staying in China. <laughs> shouts, shouts to COVID nineteen for doing that for me. Yeah. What a guy! Just a guy being a dude, dude. It's craziness. <laughs> Did you just say COVID? Just a guy being a dude, dude. Yeah. I mean, just for that part. Wait, and everything wow. else after that, definitely not being a guy, being a dude. But for waiting, just hanging out in China, being like, hey, dude, uh, are you guys married yet? And I was like, yeah, dude. Are you just going to like hang out in China, though? And he's like, oh, yeah, 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 yeah. But he was already in the United States. So here we are. I tried. I did my part for 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 God and country, and I got betrayed, dude. It stinks. But here we are. We're alive. We're okay. Here we are. But We're all right. I think it just coincides um, allergy season and some of the uh, symptoms are, you know, respiratory related, obviously. And so are allergies. Right. <laughs> so it's like, oh, man, do I have allergies? Do I have COVID? And it's also flu season. So you could actually just have the flu. And I mean, it's just right. it's crazy times we're living in. The fact that the toilet paper situation, I mean, I don't under, I don't saw that I don't really get Jeez. that. I don't really get that at all. And I also don't get the hoarding of perishables. Like, I don't need to be seeing Susan with 
eight gallon jugs of milk that expire next week. Like, are you just going to make you and your entire right. family lactose intolerant because of that? <laughs> like That goes against the toilet paper thing, if you think about it. Well, I mean... You can't have both. <laughs> well, It's either you don't buy milk and you have toilet paper, or you buy milk and you quickly run out of toilet paper. Well, maybe that's just, like, the higher level thinking that I'm not... I just haven't ascended to that level yet. Like, you know, Susan Nation out there knowing that they need eight gallons <laughs> and also that mega 125 pack times three because they're like yeah we're going to survive but we're going to be lactose intolerant so we're going to need this toilet paper you know what when you say it like that it makes a lot of sense so okay okay you just figure it out i may have just unlocked the secret to pandemics but we may need some more testing on that not sure but pretty sure yeah Here's the thing, Austin, because there's people out there that are uh, renting like Dodge Sprinters and just filling the entire van with uh, perishables for like the last some seven months. The problem is because those people are doing that. Now we all have to do that. Yeah. If we want to have like decent groceries for a certain amount of time. So it's just it kind of forces the issue for like it just brings everybody into the same crappy pit. Of, okay, well, I guess we're doomsday prepping now. We don't have a choice. Yeah, I was actually talking to my mother-in-law about this today. And she she's actually, she's out of toilet paper. So my wife had to buy tissues for them to use. No way. Yeah. Well, they probably have some in some other bathrooms that they just haven't really thought about yet. But the immediate, they're out of toilet paper, low on backups. But we were discussing this literal problem and... It just doesn't make sense. Why? Like, why is toilet paper all gone? You know, COVID-19 does not make you poop heavily. It's not, that's not a flu-like symptom. And yet it's all gone. And I was, we really had that discussion of, yeah, I believe it was like two or three people or just started hoarding it. And it just snowballed into everybody in the entire world doing it. So people really care about having poopy butts, man. I mean, it's not great. It's a constant worry. It. It is, but we just got to, you know, I, I'm a four square guy, you know, a four square folder so you can serve and get the job done. That may have been a lot wait, more wait, information wait, wait, than wait, people wait, needed, wait, wait, but wait, wait, here we are. Wait, 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 Dude, it's pandemic wait. times. I have to share this info. Wait. What is a, what do you mean four square, square folder? What is, can you, do I need to elaborate? How many sheets do you, like how many sheet sections do you yeah, use? Yeah, four, dude. Four, four squares, four toilet paper squares. You fold them all into one, and it's a thick sheet, and you do your business, you flush it down, and you use four squares, and you're good to go. Now, for those that are affected by more runny substances, you might have to use it a little more, but you don't need to be making a toilet paper mummy in the toilet, wasting all that paper. I'm saying that because four seems like a lot. Oh, oh, four's a lot? Oh, man. Well, I've tried three. Doesn't work as well. Four is a good number for me. So, I mean, okay, I don't know. This might, this might be gross. Oh boy! But we're we're already deep in it. On and this is dweeb dive. I use one square. Your kit? No, stop it right and now. I fold dude. it. I fold it thrice. What? And I just rely on my dexterity to keep myself out of harm's way. <laughs> wow. Uh, and here's the that, thing: I don't go crazy in there. I don't. I don't. I don't get deep in there. Okay. okay. It's a preliminary wipe. Okay. And here's why: 
I get 90% of the mass out. This is disgusting. I get 90% of the mass out. Okay. And then I do the wet pass with a moist towelette slash baby wipe. Oh, so there's, oh, so there's, so there's more to it. It's not just, so, because there's like a shortage on wipe, baby wipes too. Right. So you're like a, okay, okay. That, that makes a lot more sense. I'm a hybrid. Okay. Okay. I'm following. I follow. I follow. Yeah, 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 yeah. If you, Dude, I'm just glad that the people are starting not to live in the dark ages of butt wiping. Because forever, America was obsessed with just, like, the softness of toilet paper. But that was it. No bidets. No adult wipe. Like, why is it that we thought it was cool that because we're not a baby anymore, we don't have to use moist towelettes? What? How does that make any sense? I don't know, man. Hey, I got poop on my arm. Here's a dry napkin. <laughs> Thanks. <laughs> like no, you're gonna want to wash it off. I mean, I don't have to tell people now. That's baby true. wipe. Baby wipe nation is on the rise. Baby wipe nation. If you're a part of baby wipe nation, baby. Oh boy, baby wipe nation. <laughs> not to be confused with baby white nation, who we're not advocating for at this time. Baby wipe <laughs> nation. Stand up. Connor's here for you. Is that a white supremacy joke? <laughs> um. I love it. Dude, your words not mine, it. dude. Is all I'm saying. I just I I'm misspoke, just, uh, <laughs> and I just said I'm not advocating for one currently, but I'm currently advocating for baby wipe nation, not white. That, that's wipe, correct. Not white. Yeah. Um, I think for the purposes of this podcast, uh, I guess we should say. I mean, everybody's kind of inside their own little dweeb dive, their own little dweeb nation, dude. Oh yeah, this it is. Uh, the the social distancing, the the self quarantine. It's kind of crazy. It is. Well, I think people confuse the uh, the self quarantine with not being able to leave your house. Like you can't take a walk or ride your bike. Like right. I went for a jog yesterday before it was rain. You know, it rained today, but I went for a jog yesterday. I know you went for a bike ride. So I mean, you could do that yeah. stuff. There was some uh, some lady complaining in our neighborhood group about kids playing basketball and. You know, riding bikes like lady, this isn't the Walking Dead. This isn't the happening. They're okay. Right. They they can do this stuff as long as, well, what if they're family? Then it's definitely okay because they either That's all have it or they don't, yeah. and they're not rolling with other people. So just just relax. Let them let them live. Let them leave. Leave. Yeah, I, I wrapped yeah, up watching Nitro I mean- Libre, so I've you know. <laughs> couple times next time on dweeb dive nacho libre <laughs> i would i'd do it but yeah i think it's interesting to see all the effects that it, it's kind of going on i mean you i don't know if you heard about the the canals in venice uh, are cleaner than they ever have been apparently air quality in china is like 300 percent better or something because ev- like everything's just stopped we're just in a complete standstill netflix stock has probably risen nine million percent yeah that's probably <laughs> really good for them yeah, I I wonder how like the Xbox servers are doing right now. I wonder if they've had to like outsource extra server space or something. I don't know. Probably. I'm sure all and or any major video game platform, multiplayer platform, has had to increase server output to accommodate the mass amount of people working from home. Wink, wink. Yeah, working from all the home. people. Yeah, working from home on a conference call. While playing Call of Duty at the same time. Yeah, basically just blasting noobs and 
shouting forgetting deals. that they're yeah crushing deals and blasting noobs but also forgetting that they haven't muted themselves again since their last deal closed <laughs> eat it nerd yeah whoa got some you suck camper Richardson, get out of the conference call <laughs> uh john are you talking about our latest business dealings oh uh greg hey um i just <laughs> have a pre-meeting ritual where I yell at myself and yeah, here we are. That's how I close deals, Greg. If if you did this, you'd be better. Okay, Greg. And oh that was a God. that was that was not a shot at Greg Nation. Just just so they know. Yeah, that's Greg with that's Greg with three G's, not two G's. That's right. All right. Yeah, 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 yeah. yeah, yeah. But Greg's with three G's. We're coming for you. Triple G, Greg Nation, <laughs> burning to the ground. Yeah, but. All jokes aside, just make sure you are sensitive, as Connor pointed out. Social distancing, if you don't feel well, self-quarantine. While you, your family, uh, your immediate family that you live with or may be able to, to work their way through this because the dem- age demographic doesn't affect, like, basically young to, what, like, 40s, 50s. Immunocompromised compromised people, elderly, yes, your grandparents – your friends, grandparents, they're all at risk. So it's not a joke. I know there's a lot of memes out there about all this, that, and the other, but try and do your best. Stay vigilant with it. Just keep with it. Grind those games. Grind those uh, those scores that you've never been able to achieve. Enjoy working That's from right. home. Enjoy that extra time with your family, your pets, all that stuff. Uh, I personally don't think this is going away anytime soon, so... I think it's our job to make sure we do our best. And you know what? That just means you get to listen to Dweeb Dive in the comfort of your own home at random hours. There you go. Well said, Austin. Well said. Very, very inspiring. Hey, that's what I, uh, that's what I do. And then I'll just mess something up later and just make all of that go away. Well... Let's let's give you that chance, Austin. Um, I think it's time to jump into the rest of the campaign. What do you think? I agree, and I just forgot that you're the one that speaks the most. So I my uh, my opportunities so to weird. mess up are a lot slimmer. But by all means, that's true. And I messed up a crap. Yeah, it's not easy, episode. dude. Jeez. It's not easy. But it's not. I've got a newfound respect for you, hey, buddy. There you go. But yes. So we last time uh, as a recap, I guess. Hadir betrayed Farah uh, and Alex had stolen the nerve gas. We had our villain revealed who we didn't think it was who we thought, you know, they weren't who they thought they were or we thought they were. Yeah, there you go. Mess up and but also the confusion of not knowing. Inception, dude. Trademark wow. it. Anyway. You just went on a journey there. Yeah, we did. The- um, <laughs> but yeah, so Hadir gave Alex... And Farah gas mask to live through the gas because the Russians were closing in and he disappeared. And I believe, Connor, we pick up there. Yeah. Take it away. You got it. Take it away. Okay. I thought you were going to guess the name of the mission. So after the Highway of Death, this is where Hadir betrayed protagonist nation. Um, <laughs> and he became an antagonist. Protagonist <laughs> so nation. That's a yeah. so many nations at work. It's a huge nation. Well, I guess it's good to be on protagonist protagonist nation side, and then go against antagonist nation. I don't know. 
What's that? What's that nation matchup look like? Um, anyway, I think it's pretty. I think it's about ninety nine percent to one percent uh, win rate for protagonist nation. Nice. There's a couple. There's a couple fringe medias that perhaps let the uh, bad guys win, but. I think you probably want to be on protagonist's uh, nation side. All right, well, wait, anyway, way to shout them out, dude. Oh, my God. Big shouts, big shouts. Big shouts. So we move on to the mission Hometown. Um, this is kind of a perfect transition. Obviously, they're recovering from gas. Uh, so it's kind of already a surreal experience. And we find ourselves dropped in uh, to a little piece of history. Uh, this has been – this is – if not for Clean House, this is probably the most talked about mission from this game. Uh, this is def- scenes from this mission were found themselves in all areas of the news cycle, all the way to CNN, Fox News, blah blah blah, all that stuff. Um, mostly, it's been praised. I would say mostly, it's been praised, um, and we'll get into that in, in a second. But uh, the way this this mission begins, uh, it's kind of hard to understand at first. You're in a dark place. You're looking at what seems to be the dead face of... uh, Actually, no, not even yet. You're just in a dark place. You can't move. You're not really sure what's going on. And then you hear yourself kind of struggling, moving around. And you realize that, oh my goodness, I'm, I'm not Alex. I'm not Gaz or Garrick at this point. I'm not anybody that I've been playing so far. I'm, I'm some sort of child. I'm some sort of little girl. This is not the first time that Call of Duty has shifted perspectives for you to play somebody for a little bit. Like there's the astronaut that got blasted by the nuclear, uh, the nuclear bomb in Modern Warfare 2 and, and, and all that good stuff. But never have we played a child before. Um, a couple, there's there's some movement around you. you. You struggle, some rubble moves, and you see the face, the dead face of a woman, and you say, Mama. And it's like, okay, wow. This game wasn't already distressing enough. Now I'm playing a child that is buried in rubble, and I am mourning my mother. Um, you move around some more. You, get, you free your arm. You start knocking on a piece of scaffolding and metal above you with a rock, and you alert aid workers that uh, begin digging you out. They cut you out with basically the jaws of life. Um, and uh, in a moment, you were taken out by uh, aid workers and you were handed to your father, um, who immediately is alerted that his wife has been killed. Looking around, if you have paid attention to the news at all, you'll know that this is pretty much a punch-for-punch depiction of Aleppo. Um, the, the context, the fact that children were at the forefront, the, the humanitarian crisis, uh, the aid workers, especially that was a topic in Aleppo, uh, quite a bit with the blue caps and the white caps and, you know, who was who. And, um, these people out there are risking their lives basically in the middle of a, it's not even a war torn country. It's literally in the middle of a war zone. And these people are out there you know, trying to save lives amidst the chaos. So already you are completely depowered as a, as a protagonist, as the, as a, as the player controlled character, you don't have a gun. You're not a military expert. You're not, you're not anything. You're just, you're a child. Um, I, I thought this was maybe going to be like a short scene and then like 
you know, some you hear like a siren in the distance and you hear bombing starting to happen. I'm like, okay, this is just going to end really quickly. And this is going to be just like one of those quick perspective shifts. Because uh, in most parts, Austin, in, in the Call of Duty history, when you get a perspective shift, they either die or they get injured really badly and, you're, and you move away from them pretty quickly. But no, this is an entire level from the perspective of uh, who will come to know as Farah in her childhood. Uh, before we jump into the rest of this mission, I mean, what did you feel? I mean, I think you touched it right at the get-go, obviously. The the rubble, and I think you can instantly draw the parallel lines of Aleppo and Syria and that conflict and this mission right. with the white-capped. Um, so, like you said, the blue helmets, the white helmets. So the white helmets were probably the more famous of the humanitarian workers that were out there in Aleppo and, and the rest of Syria as the city was getting shelled to pieces. They were the ones out there just sprinting to the the recent shell damage or in the shelling and digging people out and saving them and getting them to hospitals. So they was like, uh, right. I think it was like all volunteers for the most part, just all different uh, nations um, you know, fellow Syrians, all that stuff. So I think as soon as you see the white cap or the white uh, construction helmet, I guess you could say the safety helmet. Yeah. I think, you know, like you said, if you were paying attention to anything that was happening in the Middle East at that time in Syria, then you would know, yes, this is the foregone conclusion. This is the, literally, this is, this is how we're going to depict it because, I think it's kind of important to uh, to add that in there as this realism of this game, the the trend continues, especially with this mission and going into really uncharted territory as far as, you know, children are, are always a sacred, um, you know, a, a sacred boundary that's never really touched or crossed. And that certainly gets yeah. broached here, but I think it, it's just we're at the point now in today's world that it needs to be crossed because it's real. Hmm. And the – oh, what's the saying? Uh, the – like the blindfold's got to come off. I know there's a, uh, there's another saying. The veil. Yeah. yeah. It's got to come off and, and that will hopefully help a little bit. But, you know, without getting too political, uh, again, it, it's kind of walking the line here. I think, yeah, the, the white construction helmets is definitely the – the Aleppo connection and this family. Yeah. And I mean, just, I think the other thing is, which, which is another conclusion you could possibly draw from is this man's daughter was just in a building that was shelled to the ground. His wife was in the building. His wife's dead. They tell him that. And he just, he can't even flinch. He's like, okay, we gotta go. Let's, we gotta go get to your brother. Right. Like where's, you know, she's asking, where's, where's your brother? Oh, he's at home. He was studying. We gotta go. He doesn't even flinch. He just knows what he needs to do for his family. So, um, it's uh, it's certainly crazy, and it's just something that. Oh boy, <coughs> woo, Corona. Um, jeez, <laughs> good timing, dude. I know I couldn't fight it. Um, <laughs> but yeah, it's just oh, it's a lot to handle in that scene, and and everyone's kind of just doing their part. No one's not even. No one's really mourning. They're just like. This is just another day, man. We're we're out here, and this this and just no happened. So, and there's there's literally no time because instantly uh, another round of shelling happens. 
you you hear talk amongst a crowd of soldiers uh, uh, encroaching upon the town, and he just yeah, like you said, he just has to get in the action. And you talk about badasses. This guy's probably right up there with Price in terms of getting the job done and you know protecting his loved ones. Um, so the next little section, uh, you consume full, you assume full control of uh, of Little Farah, and you're running around. You are. What's what? What really occurs to you immediately is how short you are. Um, you are it's you are put in the perspective of a child. You are shorter than most tables. You cannot run nearly as fast as your father as he's trying to lead you through these crowds. Uh, and by the way, Barkov's soldiers, the Russian general, are flooding the streets. They're indiscriminately killing civilians. Everybody around you. You have to constantly change your course, avoid gunfire, avoid gassing. It's crazy. And the worst. The worst part is you can die. It's not overly gruesome because you don't see yourself, obviously. It's from its first-person perspective. You see your hands a couple times, but you can die. And it's like failing in this part felt really bad because I definitely did once. I just took – I just I, – I misread the cue of the level and I took a wrong turn. And I was – you know, I was like executed. And it's – whew. Dang. Um that's that's most of what you hear about uh, the criticisms of this level. Um, in addition to you know, it's always touchy to like the portrayal of real world events of war from a child's perspective. All of that. I thought it was done pretty tastefully, but still, it's it doesn't mean I have to love it or like it when it was happening. Uh, I thought it was very effective um, at telling that story in an interactive way, which I think is important for people to understand. Again, it's watered down. It's a video game. It's not anything close to the real thing obviously but i i never i never sat around thinking about that ever and then you play this game and you're like well i can't get those scenes out of my head um it just it's it's nice it's nice in the sense that it it brings a needed voice and some uh needed empathy i think to that whole situation but before you know it you've traversed the city you've gotten back to your house you've met up with your little brother hadir and uh, your dad gives you cell phones. He starts putting a little pack together. And just as he's about to leave, wouldn't you know it, a Russian soldier bursts his way through the front door, uh, asking what he's doing, asking what's going on. And uh, before he can even let the soldier really get a jump on them or really start demand- making demands or radioing in, uh, your father attacks him and he is subdued quite violently to the point where I assumed he was dead. Um, this really begins the first uh, gameplay sandbox in this level um, because now you are a child. Hadir is knocked out. Your father is presumably dead and you are running around your house, your little, your little house um, as a little girl and you are fighting a, a mountain of a man. Uh, this was I was not expecting this gameplay, dude. How did you? Yeah, I actually, you... actually, I didn't even know what to do. I was like, "Am I just supposed to hide until someone saves me?" Right. And that's literally what I did. I would just, I would just run around and hide, and then like nothing was happening, and it was like telling me I could pick up like a screwdriver or scissors. I'm like, "What am I gonna do with those?" Like this dude's got a right. gun, and he's huge. He's literally huge. And then I finally figured it out. I was like, oh. And then I definitely failed a couple times. So, I, I mean, right. 
I don't, I couldn't even really fathom it to be honest. I mean, it's just trying to just do the mission at that point. It's like, okay, I figure out what I got to do. Just keep doing it till it's done. And then we'll go from there. Yeah. So pretty terrifying, uh, pretty terrifying gameplay. Uh, but interesting from a purely, from a pure gameplay perspective, um, pretty, I mean, pretty effectively done. Uh, it was a, it was an interesting challenge. It was a, definitely a big shakeup. Uh, in previous Call of Duties, I would, you know, like, this would be like a turret sequence, you know? This would be like an on-rail shooting sequence from a helicopter or um, some sort of vehicle section. Uh, that's typically the gameplay shakeups. But this, you're a child doing little a thousand cuts against a, a giant, <laughs> massive adult enemy. I don't know. I, was, I just wasn't expecting it. Uh, eventually, you and Hadir overcome the man in a very gruesome fashion. You stab him about, I think, six times. Uh, and you save Hadir from being choked out by stealing his AK-47 and firing it indiscriminately, and uh, you kill him. You put on gas masks. You weave your way through the town uh, with Hadir. You come across children that you know that are now lying dead in the street, a dying dog, dead adults, um, a man who's dying desperate for a gas mask lunges at Hadir and almost steals his mask. Uh this is not a happy level. Not at all. Um, I was, I was really pretty much sold on their motivations as the Kareem siblings, uh, for Farron Hadir, like this level. I was like, okay, I get it. Oh yeah. Yes. This is bad. Their childhood was destroyed by Barkov. I got it. But this level just kept hitting you over and over and over again with sad set pieces. Just like, yeah, there's a kid you knew. There's a dead dog. Yeah, there's your aunt and uncle. Uh, here's people just dying in the street. The Russians. Soup, like this particular ultranationalist uh, segment. They're super bad. Like, it was almost too much, in my opinion. Um, not that this level was overly long. It's just they really went out of their way to be like, like this is, this is awful. One interesting note, Austin, uh, the Kareem siblings were played by real-life siblings, uh, Sophia and Roman Koto, which I thought was interesting. Um, I definitely felt like that that came through pretty well. The way they talked to each other and the way they were written and just kind of their voices, they really did sound like they were siblings because they were. So oh, that was nice. I didn't know that. Uh, the way the mission ends, you and Hadir basically have to outsmart a group of soldiers that are patrolling a truck. Your intention is to steal the truck uh, and leave. Which is man. <laughs> oh, yeah, easy enough. Hard... Easy enough, right? Yeah, just steal the truck and leave. Ki- That's fine. <laughs> right, That's these easy. Are, these are young <laughs> okay. kids. These are young, young kids. That's not to say that it's it's out of the question. I mean, kids drove at very, very young ages back in the old days. Did you know indigenous children in parts of the Amazon rainforest and those in uh, in the indigenous tribes? They know up to four hundred plant species by the time they're like four. I did not know that. And they can they can harvest it and use them appropriately too by that age. I mean, it's their product of it's their crazy. environment, just kind of exactly. like these two yeah, that's are. Exactly it. So. That's exactly it. That's why I was not like flabbergasted by how resourceful these kids are in this scene. I just I was like, okay, hard times make for you know smart people. Honestly, they, it really does. Um, you do outsmart the soldiers. Uh, there's an achievement here if you get a double kill with one bullet. 
um, cause she finds a revolver and it's, it's pretty hard. I'm not going to lie. I failed this. I failed this little part plenty of times on veteran. Oh my gosh. But, I failed it. Oh, I didn't know. I, it was just like the call of duty guy mentality yeah. where you're like, Oh, she's got a yeah, gun. I've got a gun. Now I can just blast them both. Easy peasy. Nope. Eh. Nope. I could not, nope, could, could not do that. I was like you're running around. I'm like, no, don't kill me. Please let me shoot you, Russian man. But yeah, then I finally figured it out, and then I got the double kill. After yeah. literally, I was so frustrated. I was like, "How do I do this? Like, what what can I possibly do? They see me. I like. I think I got lucky when I ended up getting the mission done. So, yeah, yeah. Um, I I loved it. Not. Not like the the context and the what was actually happening, but the gameplay challenge. I thought it was I thought it was great. I thought it was great. They succeed. They get in the truck. They're climbing in, and Barkov himself shows up, comes up behind you, pulls you off, and says, "We gotcha." And then he says, "Don't kill these two. They will make what was it? Great." Um, he basically he he lightly implies that they're going to be child servants. But there's another, there's an overtone to it that's abusive in a sexual way, which Jesus, like, wow, who is this guy? I didn't pick that up, but I mean, I'm not surprised. So, um, yeah, like, at the very least, specifically calling for children. Again, Barkov, bad dude. It is pushed down your throat with a sledgehammer. Yeah. Barkov bad. <laughs> bad guy. V bad. So that yeah, and that's hometown. Uh that's kind of where we jump out and go back to the present day. But uh Farah, her icy demeanor, her cold shoulder makes a lot of sense. A lot of sense. Well don't we get more story too coming up next year? Yes, there's uh you you play the Wolfstein, but you're probably thinking of Captive. Oh, okay, you're right, you're right. Yes, yeah, yeah. You jump back to Wolfstein very quickly, and then yeah, yeah, then with you. Okay, okay. So okay, the next okay. mission, yeah, yeah, baby. The next mission is the Wolfstein. Uh, so back in the present day, Hadir uh, apparently has joined forces with Alcatala and Farah uh, and well, Farah and Price's joint task force, their joint team. Uh, they kind of do a little Avengers moment, and they uh, they take action. They um they infiltrate the Wolf's Hidden Base. We get another kind of compound clearing mission again, uh, where you have to breach and clear rooms with civilians, with militants. Um, it's a, more of the same. Uh, the stakes seem a little lower uh, on this one. But uh, you clear the above compound, no sign. Again, really, really this time echoing uh, the SEAL Team 6 operation to get um, Bin Laden. Uh, the compound, the layout, it was somewhat similar. The amount of floors, the computer room, the fact that they were raiding the computers for Intel, it was all, according to the account that was written and recorded for Zero Dark Thirty, uh, very similar, according to that account. Of course, there are multiple accounts that kind of conflict with each other, exactly, but uh, it really matches that account, which is mostly called the official account of that story. And I'm not exactly saying the portrayal in Zero Dark Thirty, but the written 
version that Zero Dark Thirty is based on. I mean, anyway. I mean, again, I, I all I gotta say is if you look up Rob O'Neill, yes, and yes. listen, like he's guest uh, appeared on the podcast Zero Blog Thirty that is done by Barstool. I think he's been on there like three or four times. They talk to him about the Bin Laden mission every time. He also has a book out called The Operator, which I'm almost through. I mean, the Bin nice. Laden raid's not even until like like chapter 20-some. Like the dude's done like 600-plus missions. But, I mean, if you want in an actual account of what happened on that mission start to finish, yeah. listen to Rob O'Neill. He will literally – he was the guy that pulled the trigger – that killed the most wanted man on the world. Just if you have any inkling, I implore you, Ooh, look up his name. Title. You will get all the op details from the guy that was there, from the guy that pulled the trigger. You will not get anything better than that. I think Zero Block 30, or Zero Block 30, they do a good, a great job. Um, Zero Dark 30 does a good job of all like the pre planning and does a really good job with the CIA. And Rob O'Neill definitely gives a nod to that with uh the construction and the training mission and like everything they did to gear up for that mission zero dark 30 does a great job of um really zeroing in on that entire process and how long it took to find him and then when they did find him and confirm it like how big of a deal it was to keep um operation security and all that stuff and not letting pakistan know and blah this blah that but yeah if you want just the mission details rob o'neill I can't I can't stress it enough. The dude is awesome too. He's hilarious. So check him out. Check out All his right. book. Check him out. Listen to his interviews on Zero Block Thirty, or I, that's where I've listened to it. You could probably listen it to it anywhere else. Um, but yeah, man, just he's awesome. You get the op details, and again, it mimics similarities to this. Obviously, sorry, Connor, I'm stealing your thunder a little bit. Um. No, go for it. So when they raid the compound, you notice how much quicker they execute. And that's probably because they're in a remote desert versus a packed London flat. They have to be a lot more careful. They have to be a lot more. I mean, in a cleaning house, it's like one shot, one kill, two shot, two kill. Probably like a double tap, like two, three shots. But very controlled, very concise, because obviously you could put a bullet through a wall and it could kill the guy next door. I mean, that's how powerful these weapons are. But in the middle of the desert, doesn't matter. So you just notice the swiftness, the the gate breach, the charging up, and it's all, I think it's all SAS, which is British Special Forces. It's like the Navy SEALs of the the Brits. Special Air Service. Yep. Um, So, I mean, obviously with Captain Price leading the mission, you're going to get SAS because he is SAS. But anyway, but yeah, you just notice how much faster it goes just because it's the location wise. So if you notice that, uh, gold star for you. Um, but yeah, we clear the house and I was expecting him to be up like on the third floor. I'm like, oh my gosh, this is going to be Bin Laden X2, baby. Let's go. Not there. I'm like, okay, nope. where'd he go? And we find out, don't we? Yes, we do. He goes to ground. He uh, groundhogs. Um, they find a. Uh, essentially a little hatch, a secret passage down into the warrens of this compound, the underground section, and uh, they go hunting. Uh, I think it's important to note... This is really a two-part mission. Oh, sorry. I was going to say, it's important to note that they raid the house, they're like, where the hell did this guy even go? And they have uh, captured civilians, and they're uh, interrogating him a little bit, and Captain Price pulls this woman aside, 
This guy's kind of bodying her up a little bit, trying to get some intel. He's like, no, 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 I'll do it. And kind of coaxes it out of her. They find out that the tea room or whatever, there's like a special second uh, or a second building, like the tea room that you pass that's cleared. And you realize that's where he went. And then you go down into the tunnel. So you don't know. You don't just right. find it. Like you're scrambling and you're like, oh, great. Mission fail. Now we got to, you know, go save the world another way. But then you find uh, the tunnel and yeah. and then kaboom. Nice. Uh, you guys uh, rappel in with um, shake-up shake up lights, green shake-up lights, and, uh, of course, it goes wrong. Uh, Price and Garrick get separated from Alex and Farah, and uh, they do. They have to just continue with the mission. Uh, comms are dead. It's, you know, tons and tons and tons of rock around you. There's no way a comm signal is going out on conventional communication methods, so... Uh, you're kind of going through this mission pretty dark. Uh, but you and Farrah make quick work in the tunnels of the little pockets of resistance, the hole dwellers. Um, hole dwellers. <laughs> I mean, that's what they are. Cave like trolls. They probably spend a lot of time down there. They know that they know the tunnels really well. You don't. Fighting in that environment, I can't, like, I can't imagine doing any, any part of warfare, really, but... Well, especially not fighting in complete darkness in a little in little mole holes, man. Like, yes, hello. That's just, the Vietnam War yeah. is calling, and they'd like to speak with you about this tunnel rats. <laughs> I, I don't got time for the Vietnam War, dude. <laughs> I don't want to speak to the tunnel that. rats. Have a word? Would like a word with you? Tunnel rats, hole dwellers, tunnel rats. I'm pretty sure that's what they the servicemen were called. Tunnel rats that had to go into the Viet Cong and North Vietnamese I think you're right. uh, tunnels and all that. You know, literally what you're Which, describing. Jeez, that has to be the worst job. Oh yeah, absolutely, hundred percent terrible. If anything you could do in war, the worst job has to be people that got to clear the tunnels out. Yikes. Yeah. Anyway, that and kicking doors down, like both of those would suck. Up. Uh, anyway, they make quick work. Uh, there's a little bit of a jump in a section. Uh, the wood breaks. Alex falls further down into the mine shafts. Which this is an abandoned mine, by the way. That's how all these tunnels really came to be. Um, he tells Farrah to continue on with the mission. He'll meet up with her later. And now you are playing a section as just Alex. Um, Alex fights his way through. Uh, he gets to a central mine shaft that's very vertical. And to flush him out, uh, because he's being so combat effective, he's really ripping his way through. They light a fire. The insurgents in the tunnel light a fire on the bottom level of this central vertical shaft. And the mission doesn't just become flushing out enemies it's getting above the fire before it spreads and suffocates you or burns you alive uh so it becomes this thing of oh crap like i gotta shoot these guys i gotta clear the way for myself but i can't take too long because i'm gonna start burning alive you're climbing up ladders you're shooting guys on the ladder it's kind of pandemonium uh eventually you get into kind of a pickle you're fighting for your life you're about to fall ferris slides out of nowhere grabs you hauls you up onto a ledge and you're good uh one nice little touch um the moment that you hadir knows that you're on his side he calls you brother and cousin gives you a bunch of stuff but he ends up betraying you so all of his words have felt pretty hollow this is the first time where you and farah call each other well alex and farah call each other cousins uh and the way alex says it he's you can tell that he's latching on to something a little bit more than what he's maybe used to. Because um, as you know, 
uh, he doesn't fight with a force, really. He was dropped in the first mission with Marine Raiders. They were referring to him as CIA. Um, he's just been kind of been thrown around in the, wherever he's needed uh, by the CIA and, you know, his, his joint operations, like whatever he's involved in. He's really just been kind of like this, uh, this loner, this solo guy. Um, and now that he's been alongside Fair for this long, it's kind of they're growing on each other. They're they're seeing each other as you know brothers in arms essentially. Uh, and I thought it was a nice touch that they started doing that. Anyway, uh, with Farah with Farah back at your side, you breach the final room. You come across uh, the wolf recording one of his menacing messages with a bomb vest around him and with some quick thinking uh, that you can fail, which I did. Yeah, I fell on uh, purpose watch just vest. to see what happens. <laughs> did you? Yeah. <laughs> I wish I did it just to see what happened, but I really did it because I, I did it too early. She was like, green wire. I was like, okay. <laughs> I didn't wait for her countdown. But um, you assemble the bomb vest. And uh, correct me if I'm wrong here, Austin. Alex is wanting not to kill him. Uh, and then Farrah acts like she's not going to, and then she does. Is that right? Um, I. So you, if uh, if Alex is going to shoot him, and then if Farrah's going to do it, and then Farrah just does it. If you don't, that was that. Just to clarify, that's what happens. Got it. Yeah, because yeah. I, I mean, Farrah's got a lot of animosity to this guy. She's kind of the. He's kind of the well, outside of the this group of Russians just being like different. Um, the wolf is kind of the reason why they're the entire country is being absolutely punished by right by the Russians, and yeah. on top of that, probably offering some ridiculous resolution, fanatical resolution to flip Hadir, her only family, to turning against her. Essentially, yeah. I mean, there's a just a lot going on, and yeah, kabang, kabang, and that's it. Very important cutscene happens after the Wolf's Den. The gas is still at large, and the United States government, uh, the military, they're feeling the pressure. They're feeling international political pressure. Um, They've got troops deployed. It's going very slowly. They decide to declare Farah's Liberation Army a foreign terrorist threat, basically roping it in with Al-Qatala. This is much to the uh, chagrin of Alex, Price, Garrick, and the whole crew. Uh, Kate is saying, hey, you know, that's them's the cards that you're dealt. Sorry. Yep. And she's beginning to ask Alex to do something else to kind of, you know, fall back in line. And he goes, you know what? No. Uh, I'm not going to. I'm disgusted with you guys, and I'm going to stay in Urzikstan and help Farah's army. If I catch a bullet... From an American gun, like so, what? I don't care. This, I, I feel mm-hmm. like, in the interest of global security, this is way more important. So, I'm going with Fair on this one. Sorry, it kind of just drops the mic and he's out. Um, that was pretty surprising. Uh, maybe I would have seen this coming more if there was more of like a, a gung ho GI Joe vibe from Alex, or at least like his superiors a bit more and like he was kind of more like wrapped up in that but really i kind of saw him as just sort of this shadowy uh 
not a gun for hire per se, but within the American intelligence and military community, he kind of is like a mercenary between whoever needs him. So I wasn't quite as sold on this reaction, but as him being like, yeah, whatever, like I'm out. But I do (laughs) buy that he wants to help Farrah quite a bit. That I do get. And that's why I think it still ultimately worked. I mean, what did you think about that? Um, I mean, I was kind of su- not necessarily super surprised, but also it's like, can he, as an American, basically, in layman's terms, he is an American asset controlled by the American government in the form of Kate right. as the CIA head in right. the region. I don't know if he would just be able to be like, nah, I'm good. I'm out. Like, later. We'll see you later. But right. at the same time, considering how delicate of a situation and just what he knows and like what are what are they going to do to stop him detain him how <laughs> like how it's not like he was Pretty like much. embedded in a unit he was embedded with pharaoh and yeah, so he's i mean out in the field as yeah it was just dude, like so. he's like no nah, i'm good and i don't i don't it's not like a face-to-face mission is it or a face-to-face meeting it's like he he literally is like no i'm staying but he's not you know he's with kate Oh, is They're he direct? In briefing room again. Oh, okay. So he just just why? Okay. Well, anyway, more power to him. But I mean, I was a little surprised that Kate's just not like, mm, no, you're going home then. But at the same time, it's like probably best operative, and may, I think she knows it's the right thing to do. Not gonna stop him. Not gonna not gonna tell him he can, but not gonna tell him no. So you know that that whole thing. But yeah, it, it's uh wasn't expected. Wasn't something that you would expect, but here we are. Who thought we would be here? Not me. Right. I mean, I think it's implied that he, yeah, he he can't do that. I think he's a. I don't know what you'd call it if he's a defector or a wall or. I don't know how severe it is, but I mean, it's disobeying a direct order and technically assisting uh, an enemy as designated by. So I guess he's a traitor almost. He is a traitor. I mean, yeah. technically, he is a traitor. Yeah, he is. Yeah. I mean, if the American government declared Farah's uh, resistance a terrorist organization yeah, and Alex embedded and joined them, then he is technically a traitor. Oof. Yep. So that's a big deal. That's a de- especially when you're betraying uh, the United States. That's that's an extra big big deal. But uh, before we continue the present day story, we once again jump back into history for the next mission, Captive. This one opens again in a uh, in a foreign protagonist body. Once again, it is Farah. She was much older now. Um, through a little bit of conversation uh, with Barkov, uh, of course he's being you know a pretty standardly evil, creepy guy. Uh, you learn that you've been fighting in the rebel uh, with the rebels for a while now, but you've recently been captured and you're in a prison compound uh, that's run by this Russian military group. Um, you're in there with Hadir, who is uh, you get to talk to him with him a little bit. And uh, what does he throw you? Doesn't he throw you something? Um, I think it's like a. A spoon, or it's some sort of utensil, I think. It's a utensil. That's what I'm trying to think. I thought it was a spoon. Uh, basically, obviously, this is in the past, so you guys are still very tight, and Hadir basically helps you out in, in any little way he can 
signifying that their relationship is built on love. It's built on care for each other. It's just Hadir's version of of the right choice is just much different than Farah's. Um, this was an interesting mission, dude. I uh, Again, it wasn't a complete gameplay mix-up for the whole time. Obviously, you have to fight your way out uh, once you're kind of free and you're, you meet back up with your comrades, but... Uh, in the beginning, I mean, you're you're sneaking around, you're evading again troops that are more heavily armed, and I think it was a nice mirror of her childhood, and I think it kind of ex- explained and displayed, you know, Farah's her like rise of the phoenix moment. Well, I think you know where. Oh yeah, go for oh, it. Oh, I was gonna say it's like the the beginning and the end are the most significant portions of the mission. In the beginning, you find out she's like some sort of beacon of hope for the rebels. I don't know the name off the top of my head, but like you get and you get drugged into an interrogation room. You get waterboarded, where you have to like stay alive right. through that. Yes, <laughs> and then another prisoner's dragged in, and you. I mean, she can get killed, or you can save her life by admitting that. You are, uh, I, I really don't know. I can't remember the name, but Commander Kareem is how they were. Kareem, her. yeah. If yeah, you, if Commander she's Kareem. Kareem or not, and I mean, you can save the life, but yeah. So, um, I forget. There's some sort something happens where they get the opportunity to escape, and that's that's how they start. I mean, really, you get armed and and do the mission. But I think it was cool to note there was another source. Um, I kind of had sent it to you. I, I can't remember off the top of my head, but it was like little details of, of how they got it right in Modern Warfare. If you notice, you can't reload while aiming down the site as Farah. You have to come out of the sights to reload. And the explanation was she isn't as well-trained of a soldier yet as she is in other parts you play her where she can reload ADS. And that's right. the reasoning. She's not as well-trained, so she can't do it. Which I thought was just like extremely interesting wow. and like incredibly detailed of them to kind of make that small note of uh you know of that detail like yeah it makes sense she's not super super trained yet and we find out why at wow. the end but what a detail um th- that's the reason but uh, yeah so basically you fight your way because they have the men all herded up in another location and you find that out and Hadir's with him, you gotta go save him, right? Right. And that's and that and that and he supplied the reason for your escape. That's true. Uh in the middle of the interrogation, which by the way, again, not the first time Call of Duty has done a torture gameplay sequence, but this is definitely the first time the water waterboarding has happened and you're the recipient of said waterboarding. Again, just a really interesting mix up to gameplay. It's it, it adds another layer of interact interaction with the with the story and I don't know I just I, I just kept being impressed by the way they presented these things I kept being like oh wow that was a really creative way to do that and to tackle such a like you know intense subject but an assault starts that you hear some explosions go off they stop the interrogation they leave the room that gives Farah just enough time uh, to kind of figure out her escape little bit of a puzzle solving a little bit of sneaking around you recover a weapon and you go to work uh eventually you free um some other ladies uh that are part of your rebellion force you get them all uh suited up gunned up and uh you kind of make a break for it and shoot your way out and make your way to hadir 
uh, it's pretty cool to see. Like, I think a lot of the details, like you said, I didn't even know about the ADS thing. That's awesome. But there's a lot of nice details in the combat barking. Uh, the way they refer to you as Kareem and the way they look up to you. She really is, like you said, a beacon of hope. And it's interesting fighting in a group of non-elite soldiers because in most Call of Duty games, obviously, you're fighting alongside people of the same level, of uh, tier of operator, uh, SAS, Marine Raiders, Spec Ops of every kind. You know, They're focused. They're, co- they're making call-outs. Their gunplay is, you know, they're they're focusing down targets. It's it's a sight to behold, and you kind of get used to that. And then all of a sudden, you're fighting with basically people who were probably civilians not too long ago, who have gotten a crash course training in we- handling weapons. They're crying out. They're they're scared of the RPGs. They're scared of fire. The way they're animated, the way they're kneeling behind cover, is way different than how. Uh, you know, the high-tier operators hide behind cover and the way they peek out to shoot, things like that. Uh, so, again, all the details just really, really well executed. And, again, another way that they show, hey, we made this game passionately. We actually cared about this one. Um, all very uh, all very well done. And then, of course, at the end of the mission, we get to see a young Captain Price. Uh, but he's not a captain yet, is he? Right? He's not captain yet, right? Yes, a young Price, I should say. He is still a. I think he's a lieutenant. I think he's a lieutenant. Yeah, he's a lieutenant. Um, you get in a sticky situation. Uh, I believe it's a hallway, or like a narrow warehouse. A bunch of guys repel in at the last second. Uh, get some headshots. Drop in. Removes his mask, or maybe he turns and faces you, and. It is a young price, Lieutenant Price. Um, the mission ends there. It's it's implied that you move on to continue um, that escape, but well, they save the guys. That, they save Adir. Yes, they're because yes, they're in a deer. in a room and the gas is being released or whatever, right? They're getting gas. No, there's a fire. They're locked in a room That's on right. fire. Yeah, I knew there was something else to it. Yeah, there's a fire as you're saving as you're trying to breach in and save a deer. And uh, Price Price and his SAS boys saved the day. Or help save the day, rather. Yes. But yeah, just a nice little nod to their their history together and why they know each other and why Farah owes him. Exactly. Which is always cool because I, I, it's always it's like that action movie trope where it's like, ha, you remember Istanbul? Yeah, you son of a bitch. I owe you one. <laughs> it's like you actually get to see why that. You get to see that. You get to see yeah. it actually happen. Um. So, we are back in the present day, dude. We're on to the next mission, Old Comrades, which is very fitting, uh, considering the mission that just happened. Uh, Following intel that they just got on a a possible attack in Russia orchestrated by Hadir, uh, Price, Garrick, they suit up, they head to to St. Petersburg uh, in undercover, uh, so not in tack gear, but in civilian gear. And they meet up with one of Price's good old contacts. None other than Nikolai. Which, uh, this time he's played by a guy named Stefan uh, Kapisik, who I think... Like, I love the old Nikolai in a campy sort of way, but man, I don't think that guy was a very good voice actor. Sorry, dude. Okay, okay. You gotta... So you have to re-educate me. I never ended up looking it up again. I can't remember where Nikolai comes in, he, 
Oh, really? Yeah. Oh, I'd love to tell you. Yeah, yeah, yeah. In the first Modern Warfare, the mission where you're in Russia, or I think it's Ukraine, maybe. Uh, it's in the present day. It's not, it's not the flashback scene. You're walking through that tall grass, and he says, you smell that? And he goes, yeah, Russians. And then you see uh, he's a recurring character. He's a guy that you play with in the in the DLC in the in the operations in this game. The younger version of him. What's his name? It's that mission where you're sniping and helping his men attack that town from above, and he keeps asking you to do more and more and more. And eventually, Price is like, "Okay, we need to shut this guy up." <laughs> and he starts beating him up on that ledge. You remember that? Uh, I'm gonna have to look it up. He's uh, what's his name? You don't remember that mission at all? Dude, it I should, but... You have like an M21 EBR scoped out. You're sniping from above this town as his as this Russian guy's men attack um, and take out um, Makarov's forces. Uh, eventually, you get frustrated because you're also there to save your contact, who's Nikolai. And you rappel down a cliffside, you clear a house, you find Nikolai who's been tied up in the upstairs bedroom. You use night vision, and Captain Price has one of his classic lines. He goes, night vision goggles make it too easy. Dude, you don't remember that mission? Uh, I'm, I'm, trying to read, I'm trying to read through right now, so it'll come Look to it me. Anyway, that is where you meet Nikolai for the first time. He is the contact that... Uh, tipped you off about Makarov and all of his doings, uh, but or sorry, not Ma- sorry, not Makarov. Not at least we don't know it's Makarov. It's Imran Zakayev. Um. Anyway, this is uh, this is before that. Obviously, this is um, kind of one of your earlier exposures to Nikolai, apparently. But again, it is. Technically, an old contact of prices, so he's must he must have known Nikolai for a long time. Uh, basically, you're here to apprehend the butcher who is hiding out in Saint Petersburg uh, because it's so hot, and the intelligence community is looking for him. Um, you track him down. Uh, he gets wise to you, and you do a crazy chase through Saint Petersburg. All you have are the weapons that Nikolai was able to smuggle into Saint Petersburg for you, which is not much. I think your choices are like an X, the X9 pistol, a GS50, which is like a Desert Eagle. You don't have a lot going on. On Veteran, I found this level very hard. Uh, Because obviously if you're too slow, he gets away. If you're too fast, you'll get shot in the face by 100 RPGs and saws. It's super hard. You have to fight your way at the perfect pace. You have to kill the RPGs as soon as they pop up. And you have to keep up with the butcher as he's running away. It's just a lot. It's a lot. Um, not to mention there's civilians everywhere. It's a city, so it's just crazy. Um, this is kind of a fun chase scene, though. Um, eventually, you get after him. Uh, you get in a car. There's a. You have to fight your way from the back of a vehicle, which is really hard because if you don't kill them fast enough, again, you'll lose the mission. Uh one of the more challenging veteran levels, I would say. One of the more challenging ones. Eventually, you catch up to him, you apprehend the butcher, and then comes probably the other most talked about scene. The interrogation scene. The torture scene. Yeah. 
you've got Butcher in some sort of dark room. He's tied up. You and Price, that is Garrick and Price, you got to get the information out of him. You got to pry it out. And this is where another one of the game's big choice sections comes up. You basically get to control um, how far you want to go to get the intel. Price is kind of guiding you through it, but he's not saying anything specifically as to what, as to what you should really do. Um, but I'll tell you, who's really driving the action is the freaking butcher who is just egging you on. He is making fun of your manhood. He is saying, you won't do it. You won't do it. Um, he's really going crazy. And if you choose to pull the trigger, it's such an interesting detail. The gun that Price gave you, not loaded. Yeah. So if you were ready to kill the guy at that point, all you get is a click. Well, and I, it kind of, yeah. Well, I was going to say, if we remember from last episode in the embassy where he pulls the trigger on a kid and his dad with the embassy worker, I think mom or, you know, the family basically, when you don't let him into the embassy and he pulls the trigger on him and Garrick's like visibly upset and probably like, don't worry, we're going to get this guy. Get like, his. here you go. Yeah. You're like, this is the opportunity. And I think that's kind of like the, the choice you're able to make with that. If you remember that, if you're able to recall yeah. that, that scenario that happened, it's like, Oh, that's right. He did pull the trigger on some kid and some dad just to try and get in the embassy to kill everyone. Like this dude's right. a bad dude. And he's trying to bad mouth you. And it's like, <laughs> yes. I mean, he's basically doing, he's still kind of, He's an interesting. He's an interesting side character because he's basically his name's the butcher, obviously, and I think he's relying on that persona to kind of guide him through this interrogation as best he can. He's trying to play the hard ass, which he probably is. But before Price gives you a loaded gun, remember they do one more level to this interrogation. They bring in his wife and his child, um, and this is where Garrick, kind of under his breath kind of as an aside to price is like are you are we actually doing this are we going this far and this you can see that this clearly conflicts with garrick's sense of justice his sense of what's right his sense of what's you know where the line is and he's kind of like he's really considering not doing it and wouldn't you know uh you don't have to you are again given another choice price is like Hey, if you don't want to be a part of this, uh, you don't have to be, but it is happening. So either get in here or step out. Yep. Which I'm like, I, dude, I don't know about you, but I was like, whoa, this is, this is pretty dark. Um, obviously torture, very, very heavily criticized around the world, especially in America. Um, as you know, we've put a ban on waterboarding and other forms of cruel and unusual punishment as, as we, as our legal system calls it. Um, this certainly fits within that category. Uh, that is using loved ones and close family members to um, elicit uh, a confession. It's pretty, it's pretty crazy. I mean, if I was in that situation, I think it would conflict with my morals too. But at the same time, I've never been put in a situation where the fate of the world's on my hands. So, <laughs> yeah, I don't know, man. And 
I'm sure to the people that have to conduct these sorts of things, it's like whatever. Yeah. (laughs) What do you do? Because obviously this guy's a piece of shit. You don't need a court of law to prove that. And obviously he's got he's a right hand man, so he's got the information. It's just like. Anyway, I chose to stay because I just you know I want to see what happens. Oh yeah, absolutely. Mainly, what did you do with the gun? So I know I did both both things. So my first playthrough, um, actually I can't remember on my first playthrough, but I did both uh, both options. I uh, I pulled the trigger and then I didn't pull the trigger. So I know what happens on both, and I actually. <laughs> I guess I'm kind of scummy. I went for the uh, the headshot on the butcher, Damn. and it shot his leg. So it's, obviously, it's a pre-programmed. You can't be uh, just you know friggin' ruthless oh, executioner. It? Oh yeah, dude. If you try and aim at him, you know his head it, bl- it puts a round into his thigh. Um, I also tried Damn, ju- like okay, like how scummy can I get? Obviously, you can point the weapon at his family. You can't pull the trigger right. on him. I did try, not to just you be like, well. hey, 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 but it's just like, okay, well, what? Where's our line? <laughs> and right. I found the line. Yeah, so. so you're just seeing what all the options. Oh yeah, are. yeah. I just yeah. want to see where you know, training wheels off. Yeah, pretty much. But there are boundaries, and I think that's it's important because it is a fine line with what you're uh, allowing and perpetuating through your story. But, I mean, it, it's pretty blurred until you hit the hard stop. I mean, it's like blurred and then, bam, cement wall. So, good on them right. for doing that. Because there's definitely people out there that fucking need that. Would do it. And they would they would relish in it and, you know, whatever. Yeah. Yeah. That's interesting. Oh, yeah. So, I purposefully shot the leg. Just I just thought that was what I should do. So, I never noticed. I didn't know that. I didn't I didn't try to shoot above his, uh, above his waist. Um. I also tried shooting around into the ceiling as kind of like a, a scary sort of thing. Yeah. But I got I got chastised for not paying attention to my backstop. Yeah. I was like, okay, that's fair. <laughs> fair enough. <laughs> that's true. Yeah. But either way, you uh, you leave it, leave the situation with the intel, um, and the butcher uh, apprehended his family. In tears, sobbing, his child sobbing, his wife sobbing, the butcher in agony if you shot him. Um, and this is where uh, the line from the trailer comes uh, from Price. Uh, you draw the line wherever you need it to be. Yep. Because um, Garrick is very upset. He's very upset that they tortured somebody like that. Um, he's upset that he had to be the trigger man. He's upset about all of it. And he's a much younger man than Price. And... Um, he lives. He's lived in a much different world than Price probably has, and his moral compass is <laughs> spinning every which direction out of control. And I think it's one of those things that turns Garrick into Gaz, and it's one of those lessons that you don't want to learn. You don't want the person you look up look up to, Price, to teach you that lesson. Um, I think it destroyed his image of Price in a way, but it also rebuilt it. And he kind of maybe respects Price on another level uh, that he didn't anticipate. I thought that was an interesting part. Um, I don't know if I'd want to hang out with Price in real life, but I definitely, I definitely want him to uh, be on my team in the great uh, in the Great War. That's for sure. 
Yeah, dude. It's uh, mission success over troop welfare, as they crazy. as they say in the military. Yeah. That's perpetuated through the military. And Price, I mean, embodies that. And you need those type of people, man. You you need them. Uh, a few good men also uh, also per- per- uh, kind of touches on that, right? I hope hopefully yeah. I'm quote I'm inserting the correct movie. I think you are. Tom Cruise. I, I can't verify, but yeah, Tom Cruise. Um, oh, Jack uh, Nicholson. I think. Oh, you're trying to name the actors? Yeah, Tom Cruise, Jack Nicholson. Yeah, talking about needing uh, the ty- yeah. the type of men on that wall. You know, needing them. This, that, and the other. Like, yeah, it's actually, it's pretty true in this realm of the spec ops and. The stuff that nobody really knows about but keeps the world safe. Like, yeah, we absolutely need those people. And they, you try and break down the decisions and they might be scummy, but mission success over troop welfare and they're going to make the calls that they need to. And it's just more realism, man. Like, I will never understand or know what it feels like to make a call of that magnitude or continually make that call. But you know what? it makes so much sense. Like if you got to do something to get the job done for the fate of the world. So like idiots like me don't need to know what's going on by all means, man, do it. If that's, what's going to do, you know, help you and, and make sure that you're able to do your job and, and have no reservations again. So like big idiots like me can just continue to talk about things. I don't know on a podcast. Like, absolutely. I'm here for it, man. Well said. Well said. I think the bottom line is neither of us have ever been in that position, nor nor will we be. And I think it's impossible. It's almost impossible to discuss in any sort of qualifying way because it's just so it's a different it's a different world that they live in. Yes. The people that do this kind of stuff. It just is. Mm-hmm. Um, they get what they need to from the butcher. They learn that Hadir plans to attack Barkov at his estate in Moldova, and they proceed to intercept him um, pretty much all at the same time. So things are converging in Moldova. Uh, this is a this is a sneak mission with Garrett. Garrick? Garrett. <laughs> oh, Garrett's back. Garrett Nation, baby. Garrett's back. Garrett's back. It doesn't sound <laughs> as terrible as Geralt and Garrett. Because it's like, okay, a ge- like this Garrett could actually be pretty cool. Unlike Geralt and the Witcher yeah. Garrett. Not right. cool. Also, a, a, a British Garrett is different than an American Garrett. Because otherwise it's like, yo, what's up? My name's Garrett versus, hello, my name's Garrett. <laughs> <laughs> All right. Uh, Garrett Nation so still that, hates us. Amazing. Checking in. Yeah, Garrett Nation's on fire right now. <laughs> uh, the accent police are knocking on my door, calling for my life. Well, they can't get in. You have corona, so it's fine. <laughs> That's right. Get out. Unless you want to have a mild inconvenience for a couple days. <laughs> All right, dude. Two more. So two more missions left. Second to last. Going dark. You go to the. You go to the estate. It's a Sneeko mission, reminiscent of, uh, I believe the mission's called Ghost. Uh, 
in Modern Warfare 2, when you sneak into the uh, the Arctic ice base, oh, the airstrip, yeah. um, or like Gilly's in uh, in the Mist, is that what it's called? No, that's a that's a book. <laughs> Whatever, it's a it's a Call of Duty sneak mission, baby. Yeah, like the Pripyat um, missions or the uh, the Arctic yeah, base yeah. one, exactly. Right, you're sneaking around. There's a there's a vehicle going around making its rounds. Pretty classic Call of Duty stuff. Make your way through, kills, kill guards as you see fit. Keep things quiet. Avoid the the truck. Um, this is another mission where you can go loud and you can do it, but it'll be way harder. Or you can do a blend of attacking, killing, and staying uh, undetected. Or you, you can go full undetected. There's actually a achievement for that. Did you get that achievement? No, also? it's one of the ones that has eluded me. It is so hard, man. Did you get it? No. Okay. <laughs> In all the other games where you get an achievement for doing full stealth, I've been able to get it. This one, it just completely evades me. I mean, I've slapped that sucker on recruit and I still couldn't do it. Like, I have no idea what the really? parameters of the mission are. Oh, yeah. Yeah, it, dude, well, it's you, tough. You have to like interrogate. So there's like there's a couple hostages that you have to interrogate to get some more information. Um, not even interrogate. Not interrogate. They not, they've been being interrogated. interrogated. <laughs> they've been beat up very badly, and you have to kind of come up to them, talk to them, but you're not really emancipating them. Uh, it's hard, dude. It's hard to remain undetected. I always did a blend. Um, you fight your way around the estate, and eventually uh, you find Hadir. And the two of you uh, learn the location of Barkov's gas factory, uh, narrowly escaping in the process. Um, now that you have Hadir, Laswell arrives, uh, and Russia is demanding Hadir being uh, is be handed over to them. And obviously, not great for Hadir, uh, but Price eventually begrudgingly uh, agrees. He goes, "Okay." As long as we get to keep the intel in the gas factory, I guess so. Uh, I assume Price doesn't feel too bad about giving him over. No, I think but, he was trying to like keep him for Farah, but right. understands the situation. I mean, the dude just knows the ins and outs of this realm. So he's like, okay, you can take him. I get it. The political scene. Russia needs blood. But we're keeping this. And Kate's like, all right, that's fine. Chess pieces, man. Chess pieces. Mm-hmm. And uh, that's going dark. Pretty quick mission. And uh, kind of just a little a little palate cleanser before the last big boy. Well, yeah. Mission. And I think the other thing is you find out that the people being interrogated with Barkov's family, I'm pretty sure. But outside of that, there's, uh, there's oh, no other. I missed, dude, I totally missed that. Oh, man. You missed that? Yeah. I thought they were like dignitaries. No. Nope. It's family. Um, jeez. Oh, so he's he's paranoid is pretty much what that says. Yeah. Um, and then the other thing is along with the other cool little details. While you're rappelling down, if you reload, you can watch your clip drop and hit the ground. Really? Yep. If you shoot and reload, like right when the mission starts, those two yeah personnel guys get blasted by Al Katala. Like before that, you can shoot in the ground or shoot in the dark really fast and reload, and your trip, your clip will drop to the ground. You can see it fall. I don't know if you can see where it lands, depending on how low you are. 
But yeah, you can see it fall. Again, just the incredible level of detail Details. that this game has. Details. It's friggin' awesome. Whew. I just I loved every second of this campaign, man. Uh including the last mission, which was a pretty crazy one. Into the furnace. Here we go. Uh Price and Garrick come back from Moldova. They meet up with Farron Alex and Urzikstan. Uh and they begin to plan their attack on the factory. Uh, they get some assistance from Laswell, and uh, pretty much they advance on the factory. And they're going. Their plan is they're going to use explosive explosives provided by Nikolai to demolish the facility. Uh, they make their way in. There's a series of, I mean, there's a, there's a shit ton of fighting here. This is just kind of a smorgasbord of advancing, shooting, pretty much a shooting gallery section, making your way closer and closer. Ooh. Another shooting Ooh, gallery. Wait, 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 wait. Yeah, dude. Did we miss Bravo Six going dark? Isn't that okay? Where did where? That's not the last mission. It, maybe it was like a different part, but I mean, it's uh, kind of an iconic line. We use it in our own intro. Did we okay, miss it? Yeah, I'm pretty sure that's in. Uh, I'm pretty sure that's in. Uh, I thought that was it. Actually, back a little bit. Oh no! I thought that was in Wolf's Den. It may have been, dude. We're the worst. Oh. Oh my god. Not, I mean, it's only like the most iconic line that people remember on the commercial, and it was so iconic that I suggested to Connor that we use it, and it's a freaking <laughs> badass portion of our intro, and then we forget to mention where it actually falls, dude. We dives over. It, it is over, dude. I hope we corona both get canceled, Corona dude. and just just don't recover. Oh no! You're already halfway there, dude. Bravo Six Nation is gonna rise. <laughs> <laughs> anyway, I just, I just, it just dawned on me, and I was like, dude, dude, oh no! And also, I think it's important um, before the mission starts, we get a nice cutscene of when Price and Garrick roll up to meet with Farah, and they have to park kind of far away, and Price comes out, hands up, tells Garrick, you know, don't do anything stupid. Farrah comes out with the gun pointed at him. It's like, what are you doing here? Um, kind of gives the explanation of uh, where Hadir is. You know, we Hadir's with the Russians. And uh, she's, Farrah's like, so he's dead. And Price is like, if he's lucky. Which just kind of, like, yeah, gives Yikes. spells what's what's going on with him. And then he says some other stuff I can't remember and then he are, he immediately knows that Alex has a zeroed in on a sniper rifle and he's like isn't that right Alex and sure enough you get the zoom out Alex is on the roof with Hadir's sniper rifle zoned in on price and uh then we get mission start so right that that's just yeah, a kind I of a, totally a nice about that scene. a nice cut scene the gang's back together yeah, the Avengers have assembled. Well, those. essentially, it's Price going in like, oh, we're going to need help taking this gas factory. Like, I have an idea. Let's talk to Fair about it. Fair's like, oh, we're not le- we don't leave this country. And Price is like, well, what if I told you, you know, ESPN 30 for 30 style. Farah, what if I told you that the gas factory that afflicted your family and also corrupted Hadir could be located and found in a neighboring country? And she's like, oh, okay, yeah, like, let's do true. it. True. Yeah. True, true, true. And the last thing I'll yeah. mention, yes, there's a lot of combat to start, That, but there is U.S. support a little bit 
I think uh, they supply the armored vehicles. And also, yeah, does. you get to freaking control a drone. The beep, 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 beep. Yeah, that's pretty sick. Beep, 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 beep. Anyway, okay, I'm done. No, I'm glad you mentioned that. Because I was kind of just flying through this part. But uh, yeah, some cool... Uh, Alex takes control of the laser designator, which uh, nearby drones will lock on and shoot missiles uh, at your target, which is really cool. Um, pretty challenging level from a gameplay perspective, but I don't think the hardest level in the game. Not by a long shot. There's snipers. Um, there, there's a lot of stuff going on, but it, it's it's nothing that you can't, can't overcome. Uh, the boss battle. Do you want to talk about the boss battle? Should we talk about the boss battle? Wait, are we are we fast forwarding all the way to the the end against Barkov or? No, 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 no. The, no, no, no. Okay, good. Unless I have transposed two parts of this campaign, don't you fight the guy and the uh, basically like the the over armored EOD suit? Oh, you do fight uh, the Juggernaut. Yes, that is true. Juggernaut. You yeah. do fight him. Yep, 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 yep. You're right. So after you fought your way through. A couple shooting galleries of enemies. You make your way into the factory. Uh, you get kind of put in this battle arena with steam pipes, narrow uh, alleyways between these giant pipe sections, and uh, you are placed in a battlefield with a juggernaut, a big Russian juggernaut. Uh, this is kind of like the hide-and-go-seek attack game with Child Pharaoh, but on steroids. Because <laughs> uh, you actually have weapons, but he's pretty... He's like... Yeah, equally as impervious to damage. You have weapons, you have friends, right? And I mean, he's just—he's a juggernaut. The the famous dun, Boom. the the guys that made you poop your pants in Spec Ops. Oh yeah, uh, Modern Warfare Two. Oh yeah, dude. They made us poop our pants many many a nights. Oh yeah, dude. In Spec Ops, oh. which, by the way, Austin and I cleared all sixty nine stars yep. in one night. Yep. Uh, one of our greatest, one of our greatest accomplishments, man. Dude, we almost did the impromptu run. Remember? Oh yeah, a couple like a year ago, I think. It was uh, the la- the oil rig mission where we tripped up and we literally almost got it first try. And oh, we messed up on the breach. Part at the the, end. Uh, we cleared the breach room, and I think it was me because I had a lot of the shooting duties because I'm just yeah. a little bit better at it. And way better I thought I had cleared the room and I was in the middle of a reload and you had set the controller down because like mission success. And there was a dude right next to me that I put some rounds in, but didn't die. And he lit me up and we failed. And then we couldn't get past it after that. That was wow. The saddest moment. It was like four. <laughs> it was like 4 a.m. It was like, OK, this is it right here. That's the second to last mission, correct? Yeah, pretty sure it is. Oh, it was tough, dude. That just brought back memories. Oof. Yikes. <laughs> anyway, he's pretty challenging. You can... Th- there's some quirks to the battle, but overall, it's just kind of a run-and-gun sort of situation. Get past him, move to the next room, and bam. A little cutscene. Apparently, the explosives provided by Nikolai, there's a detonator that you are all going to use. Um, not No. There's only one detonator. <laughs> Not everybody has a detonator. <laughs> uh, the detonator apparently is damaged, and uh, in the fight with this with the with the big Russian juggernaut, um, 
and they basically have a little bickering of well if we don't have a detonator remote detonator then we're gonna have to put them off manually aka someone's going down with the ship and Farrah's is immediately like okay yeah that's me and alex goes nah i don't think so um alex gives a little speech about before he met Farah and before he got kind of attached to her cause he was fighting for anybody that would use him in the american you know military and intelligence community he was kind of at the mercy of forces greater than him he didn't know what he was always doing he didn't know what the consequences were he didn't have any ownership of his life and now that and now with Farah, he's had all of that and more he's gained a brother in arms in Farah and a sister in arms in Farah, and that means more to him and he is more than willing to die for that cause and he willingly marches off to his eventual demise pretty interesting arc for old alex yes old cia alex and before we move on oh well i'll get my thoughts on that so the detonator gets broken you clear the steam room and you're about to approach the boiler room and that's when the juggernaut appears he um smashes the door open and as alex you have the detonator and you like land on it or drop it and it breaks so that's how it ended up breaking is the juggernaut actually does cause it to break in a cut in a very small cutscene as he comes through the door and everyone goes running back into the steam room and then a side note to that when i was playing i knew it was coming and when i was playing on the realism mode i was like oh great how am i gonna do this it was actually really hard in uh the whatever mode i was playing like the hardened mode i was like it's actually really hard and hardened so on realism where i'm just like this thing's gonna rip me up hadir's yeah. sniper rifle dude staggering headshots it took like four and it was over it was actually easier to do it in realism than it was in uh, hardened which was crazy you brought his sniper rifle all the way with i you. did dude i did it was like you used to conserve the ammo yeah Dang. sentimental value for me i saved it all the way up. I forgot I had it. I switched weapons off like the assault rifle I had. I was like, oh, like, yeah, Ooh. dude, this thing. Headshot, 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 headshot dead. I was like, that was so easy. Wow. Are you kidding me? I was using like SMGs and running around and trying to kill them. Oh, heck it no, took dude. forever. Oh, yeah. I remember that. I was like, dang, dude, I don't know how I'm going to do this. And then I don't know if that's what spurred me to keep it and keep going. But I didn't want to like toss it with Pharaoh. I was like, oh, this is like your brother's namesake. And he's kind of yeah. dead. So, yeah, I will say, so moving on, we get to the cutscene. Oh, I got to die. No, actually, I'm going to do it for the cause because I haven't had a cause. And now I have a cause. I right. think this was probably like the cheesiest lot, like cheesiest, cheesiest part of Call of Duty of this campaign. It like, yeah. to me, it broke the realism chain in a way. Not that that really, really matters because the entire campaign is awesome. But like, I don't know. I thought it was just cheesy where you have this CIA operative that it makes sense how he's kind of just a pawn at all times and he gets to make a choice and and do this and calls fair a commander and, and all that and gives her a salute. But man, it felt so cheesy, dude. Like, I don't know. Maybe that's just not typical Call of Duty. And like we've seen our our friends and heroes get blasted in a lot more, I hate to say heroic ways, but like soap gets you know ripped up in a big firefight like we see ghosts go down in a ridiculous way like or maybe it was right. gas like way in the future but like 
you know, Price gets gets beat up and stabbed. Like all this stuff happens to all these heroes, and it's like Alex has a freaking midlife crisis in the boiler rooms. Like, no, it is me that must do these. I don't know, man. Yeah. It felt to me, it felt like a, a super cheesy way. And like when you explain it as and think about it, you know, he didn't have a cause and he's a, he is the ultimate CIA black operative pawn where he would be sold out if he got caught kind of a thing. And this is his choice versus his government's choice. Like, okay. Yeah. But at the same time, like, I don't know, man, I just don't see one of those guys doing that. That's the thing. At least not for, at least not for like a, uh, like, like no offense, no offense, fair nation and, and team Farah, but I just like if it was for other American lives or, or, you know, even, you know, fellow nation lives like Price and Garrick, like those guys. And there's a crisis in the time, like, you know, time's running out. It's like, okay, you know, ultimate sacrifice, jump on the grenade kind of thing. Like, yes. I don't know, man. It was just like this drawn out, cheesy. I'm in position. I'm going to do this. You go get Barkov. Like, I don't know, man. That's my thoughts. Those are my long winded, drawn out thoughts. Of basically saying, yeah, that's cheesy. I'm glad you said that because it didn't hit right with me. I didn't really know what it was. But now that I think about it, earlier I mentioned I didn't really I didn't really feel it when he said, hey, you know, he, he stuck it to Kate Laswell and said, I'm going with Farah." I didn't really feel it. And I think that ultimately is, you know, how that ended up. It just it didn't really hit that such a highly trained guy would just, you know, kind of have this big statement. Um, and make such a fuss about it. It wasn't. It, it wasn't cringe or anything. It just didn't feel on the money. Um, I appreciate feel- the attempt. I appreciate the attempt at trying to make like a round character arc, and you know he's he's been transformed by his exposure to Farrah and her cause. But really, if anybody was going to have sort of an expressive character arc, I think it was, I think it was going to be Farrah because. She doesn't fight for a professional military. She fights with her family. Right. You know, she fights with her her literal cousins. Um, so, or like someone like Hadir, I, I could yeah, see doing well. that sort of thing. Like, like okay, yeah, it's on me, guys. I should probably do this. Right. Because in a, like, in any other type of media, in any sort of context, a character arc like the one Alex has, it makes sense, right? But these aren't like drama, like drama, dramatic characters. These are the most hardened, focused people on planet Earth, which is why we can stomach a character like Captain Price, who would be in any other medium or, or sorry, any other context would probably be a villain or at least a great character. Uh, he's not in this because of the specific context to like the, the high tiers of operations. So. I, I agree with you. I agree with you. I don't think it hit quite right. Yeah, it just hit different, say, dude. Well, I was just going to say <laughs> um, the whole reason it fell off is you're just immersed in this immensely real scenario after scenario. I mean, starting from the very beginning with the cutscene in London to the operation yeah. with Alex in the mountains to Piccadilly, cleaning house. Uh, Farrah's story, um, 
the the raid, the Syria moments, just all these comparisons. It's like real, 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 real. And then in the grand finale, you're just like yanked right out of these real immersive experience into this dramatic flair that's like, huh? Wait a minute. Why do I why does this not feel right? It doesn't feel right because it's probably it's probably the most unrealistic thing to happen in the game. It's very noble but unrealistic. Let's yeah. be honest. And we're not saying that like the rest of the game is like perfectly real. Like this would actually happen exactly like this. Cause even though the game's pretty grounded, a lot of like pretty amazing things still happen. I think you're saying unrealistic from the, in terms of the character's decisions. Yeah. And just and how they choose, just how things. close yeah. they play. I mean, yeah, it's not exactly realistic to the point. Like, yeah, this is, they just pulled, you know, op feeds and details and just stuck it in a game. Like, no, but I mean, we've made, at least I know I have made the claims and citing a, I would say reliable source of just from what I've listened to of how, you know, Rob O'Neill in some of these missions, like it is pretty real as real as it can get for idiots. Like, like me and Connor and, and everyone else that played this game. Well, okay. Wait a minute. (laughs) Just us. You guys are normal. We're idiots, but it's just it's all this realism and then you have the aleppo stuff that we talked about you've got like the the syria issues we've got like this this global terrorism that's not talked about the special ops that gets done behind the scenes that you know we need but we don't know about it's like all this stuff is as real as it's gonna get for us and then just to have this happen at the end is why it hits so different. Because it's just, yeah. it's like the most unrealistic part of the game after everything that you've done. Like, you have a moral, cri- like, Garrick establishes himself as a moral character. He is upset that the government did not give him enough of, you know, good enough rules of engagement to eliminate this terrorist cell, uh, terrorist cell in London before this terrorist attack happened. So Price comes in, he's like, hey man, we can go do this, but you gotta know, like, training wheels are off. Like, when we go, we go. And it's apparent in Cleaning House where you, I mean, you just like, you make the call to shoot the woman upstairs that would have blown you up, but you had to face other choices where you could have killed civilians. And then Garrick's faced with the big moral choice about the, the butcher. You know, after battling with himself of watching the butcher kill someone at the embassy like and and speaking of the embassy another thing you know, the Bengen, the benghazi scenario again right. another yeah. realistic another thing one. like yeah. just all this stuff and it just leads up like obviously the gas factory is is in itself like it makes sense for a call of duty because like you're fighting for this and then just the whole alex being noble thing for farah it just it just really like you're steaming along full steam ahead to the to the grand finale of this campaign and you just hit like a massive brick wall before you get to the ending not to say that it kills the campaign but like it's just like oh man it just like slows it down it's just like dang dude dang i mean that's that's probably the best thing just dang dang yeah okay that was my uber long-winded answer about it hey man you're welcome <laughs> dweeb die for a reason bro continue we... continue continue so now we're with uh 
The climax. Garrett climax. and Price. Well, uh, not much is left of their involvement in the story. I was just going to jump to the Farah's and Barkov's final moments here. Oh, I mean, I think it's I think it's uh, important to note that Price and Garrick are trying to fight their way to Barkov before he escapes, and yeah, he's attempting to escape the facility in a helicopter, uh, and and Garrick and Price are tasked with stopping that. So they, I mean, it's a it's an intense firefight through the you know nothing special happens in the firefight, but I think. It's important to note that you play as Garrick again with Price, and you're trying yeah. to get to Barkov before he escapes. And right when you get to him, he escapes, and you're left with like, "Oh, dang it, dude! Like we just did this entire op. Like, yeah, true. Tons it's of stuff just sequel. happened, Ugh. and this dude freaking gets away, of course, on a helicopter. Like vintage Call of Duty, the bad guy gets away, of course. We can't blow him out of the sky." And now, yeah, exactly. Sequel, and it's going to be just dumb. Like, dang it, I wish we could have just killed this guy because he's a freaking scumbag. Nice clean ending. Like, I think it's important to know all that because you're like, you're feeling like, dude, this dude got away. And then you get to the helicopter and we're live. Bing bong. This was, this I thought was pretty cool because Farrah's definitely the type to lay out, hide, and ambush somebody on a, their own helicopter. Um, I thought that was pretty fitting in her style of what, what she's shown so far as a character and how she chooses to engage in warfare. Um, but yeah, Barkov escapes, but Farah has stowed herself away on his helicopter. She walks out of the shadows and attempts to ambush and kill him. Uh, of course, Barkov is the big bad evil guy, so he doesn't die right away. They have a little struggle, uh, a little fight, but Farah is eventually victorious kills that dude into the next realm. <laughs> yes. Does he stab him? Does she stab him and kick him off the helicopter? Is that what happens? I'm pretty sure she stabs him more than once. Doesn't she? It's yeah, it's torso stabs. And then yeah, and then she definitely kicks him off the helicopter. Torso stabs, kicks him off the helicopter. And then the facility uh, blows up. Facility explodes. We get a last check, you know, we get a check with Price, you know, Price is like Barkov's getting away. Farah Alex, and Pharaoh's like, nope, got Barkov, and then Kemper's like, okay, Alex, you know, like, are we in position? And Alex, like, yep, we're good to go, and then that's it. And Alex goes goes up in flames with the rest of the building, uh, but everybody else uh, evacuates as the factory is destroyed and escapes. Um, pretty much the end of the campaign, besides a little tasty little last final scene. With Barkov dead, uh, and Russia officially saying, "Hey, we didn't. That guy was an ultranationalist. We don't care. He's stupid. He should. He should deserve to die." <laughs> uh, Price and Laswell meet up, and they discuss the creation of Task Force One Four One, baby, which was just the like OG. the mind blowing piece of this that. I hadn't really considered that this was stuff before the other games until that point. And yeah, it's the two of them collaborating together. Like, look, we can't be hindered like we were previously with governments getting in the way. Like I need it. You want problems to get solved by me? 
fine, I'll do that. Give me a team. And Laswell's like, yeah, we're not, we're not about that business. And Pryor's like, mm, well, no, you are. Gets the files, and that's where we see um, how Garrick is actually referred to as Gaz. He's like, oh, Gaz, I didn't know that. He didn't, he never said anything. And we like, get classified. <laughs> and then we get uh, soap. Soap's in there. Um, presumably Ghost, who we don't know about um, just yet. Yes. I forget exactly how he refers to Ghost, but it is Ghost. Yeah. I mean, it's just um, like they, all our favorite characters. Which is awesome. Yeah, and they talk about Victor uh, Zakaev. Yeah. Yeah, and it's just like, whoa. Which is cool because um, that still gives enough time for a sequel to be still be put in between. Uh, I think it's – I think it's. And maybe this is the time to talk about it. I think it's possible that a, a sequel to this will be – a rehashing of the original modern warfare plot. But I think there might be enough for something in between that, you know? I mean, yeah, they definitely can't run over the, uh, the original storyline in modern warfare with how coveted that is. But I know, did you mention the end video that leads into the spec ops side, which by the way, we should probably do. Cause I think it does play a role and has a little bit of a story. It's really difficult. It does. But it does. Well, and that's that's what's killing me is you meet up with what's his face? The guy that I was talking about in the original Call of Duty mission that you that you didn't remember. Um his name is uh Oh. Okay, I'm just going to look it up. It's like a he's a Russian intelligence officer. Yes. And it's like a because the cutscene essentially while Connor looks this up the cutscene after the campaign ends and Task Force 141 is beginning to be created, they're in, or well, there's a cutscene of these soldiers getting cut down, and they're Russians, and they're getting, literally getting blown away. There's tons of dead ones, and this guy's kind of like begging for mercy, and he gets put down, and it zooms out, and it's the general from Call of Duty Modern Warfare and Modern Warfare 2, I believe. Um, yeah. I can't remember his name, but he's got, he's the, uh, Deagle guy that everyone knows. He's the baddie from, from those games. So it's like, oh, it's that guy. It's, uh, it's Zakaev. It's Victor Zakaev, isn't it? No, no, it's no. Zakaev's the oh. one that's like funding them, but, yeah. uh, yeah, it, it's okay. another, it's the general. I can't remember his name, but we find out that and that it, it's in like Verdansk is where all this is happening with these ops, yep. with the spec ops part, which, Side note, I'm pretty sure that there's a like more mission-based spec ops in Call of Duty that was exclusive to Sony for whatever reason for like the first year. So we'll get access to that soon and uh hopefully we'll be able to play and yeah, it'll make great. more sense, which will be cool. But it's Kamarov, by the way. Kamarov. Okay. Kamarov. So but yeah, and then we find out I do we find out through the end scene as well that uh, Zakayev ends up taking Hadir under his wing and like releasing him, like he gets out of Russia without dying. Yes. Yeah. So it's like Hadir is alive. Um. Then the generals introduced. Zakayev comes to light, and it's I think it's him and his son by at that point because the price mission where he blows his arm off was like when he was still a lieutenant as well so price was doing crazy stuff friggin roping into the middle east and also yeah. s- sniper mission and pripyat 
So, yeah, I mean, just the fact that Hadir's alive, it's the beginning stages of the Zakaya faction and the introduction of the general. I think there's tons of content to uh, to be able to perpetuate a sequel before Modern Warfare events. So, I mean, it'll be uh, it'll be super interesting. Um, and I think the other thing I want to think about too is there's characters in multiplayer that you can play as like named characters that have a little bit of a storyline like i wonder if those are going to get utilized at all in a little bit of a maybe a spec ops way or a like a zombies way so like if we remember after the original zombies came out we got dempsey and uh nikolai and uh the german doctor and then the japanese officer and they all ended up getting pretty big storylines just from zombies. And right. then Nikolai right. obviously had the huge storyline in um, Black Ops. So, yeah. And then I, maybe Dempsey had it in uh, the World War II Call of Duty. Not the most recent one, but another one. So I'm pretty sure he did. So they all had some really big storylines afterward. So just there's a lot more characters, though, in... Uh, in the multiplayer, so I don't know if they would be able to do that, but it's an interesting thought, right? I th- I think it's totally possible. I think Call of Duty's embraced the alternate ways uh, to inject story into their into their worlds, like Spec Ops, like Zombies. So I I've got n- no doubt that they'll find a way to utilize um, other modes besides campaign to tell the stories that they want to tell. Um, but to uh, to kind of wrap things up. I was, I was impressed by Call of Duty's attempt at a more mature campaign, uh, a more mature set of choices that the player has to make. I thought it was, I I thought it was a it was a brave attempt, uh, considering what their fan base is pretty much used to, uh, the kind of big set pieces, Michael Bay stuff going on, uh, that the community kind of expects in every in every call of duty release so for them to make this game i uh, i was surprised but i was impressed i really was i really thought they did a great job uh i agree i don't think it was perfectly executed in every possible way obviously with the alex character arc thing kind of feeling like a flub uh some of the subject matter was pretty dark um but nothing felt, I'll say this, nothing felt distasteful and nothing felt like it was taken too lightly. That's for damn sure. <laughs> so uh, I think erring on the side of overtelling the darkness is probably better than underselling it, in my opinion. But it was solid, man. Everything about it was so solid. And in some cases, it was excellent. So... Um, if you haven't played this game, if you're not a fan of the multiplayer, that's fine. Don't worry about it. I think this game is worth the full price just for the campaign. I really do. Uh, and yeah. played in realism mode if you uh, if you really want to have the full experience. I really believe that. Yes. How about you, Austin? What are your parting thoughts? Oh, I mean, I absolutely agree. I will say the only slight negative I had was Alex's storyline, you know, the ending of it. And maybe that's because he's not in the later call of duty. So he can't, he, you know, it had to end some way, but, um, as far as like the dark content, I just, I'm okay with it because I will, I will beat this, uh, you know, I will beat this dead horse over and over and over again. But 
the realism factor of just everything that they they put in here into this game it just it's not a reoccurrence of dark themes it is just what is going on in this world today and it's you know activision or activision just decided to say at least yeah. in my opinion like all right enough's enough we're making war fighting games where people are getting killed it's time to show people what really happens like it's not a crazy super soldier that is always doing the right thing you know these guys have to make choices out there and we're going to bring as close as we can to you as possible you know to live that choice and to live these choices you know like the subtle there is a car driving towards us and we just got attacked by some terrorists this could be a suicide bomber do we put a round through the window or do we just take the chance and let him go like how many times do we think those guys over you know our soldiers in the middle east had to have that decision like there's this guy driving towards us there's a barricade here we're firing warning shots he's not stopping and then we do this and we turn out like there was something wrong so um so like the other thing uh on amazon generation kill follows a it's a somewhat fictional storyline um that follows a marine uh, force recon unit in the beginning stages of the evasion of Iraq. And they're kind of faced with like the similar stuff. Yeah. And I've heard, again, I'll reference zero block 30 again. Um, the Marine staff sergeant on there reference, uh, generation kill as being like the most realistic for him. It, hopefully I'm not misquoting him, but just kind of like adding to the realism. And that's, that's literally yeah. a choice that they made. They had a barricade on a road and cars with refugees were trying to evacuate out and, they wouldn't stop and they had to light it up. I mean, it was just what they had to do. And it turns out like, you know, one the right call, but they had no choice. It's a real choice that they had to make. And yeah, it's not we, one that yeah. happens like oh, one time. It's a one off. No, literally all the time. So this game literally, there's no reoccurring of dark themes. It's literally just kicking down the door that makes everybody feel warm and fuzzy about video games and especially war fighting games. And it's like, Okay, look, it's fun, sure, we, we meme, we talk, it's enjoyable, but let's be real here. This story is as real as it's going to get, and that is exactly what they delivered from start to finish for the most part. So, again, just like the last blip at yeah. the end. But So, for me, there was, like, the dark themes part, it wasn't really dark themes, it was just realistic, like... It's what's going on in the world, and if this is the way to educate people through a video game, and then they can form yeah. their own conclusions, and so be it, man. Like that's the way it's gonna be. That's the way it's gonna be. But yeah, I, I'm uh, I am not on the dark horse train. It, it is real, and I'm really happy that they did it because I think people are uh, a little bit just head in the sand. They don't really pay attention to what happens out there, and we got a lot of people overseas that have to do this kind of thing so uh you know kudos to them and bravo to them and hoping that we're able to continue the storyline i don't know if treyarch gets the next one if they're going to do their own thing or activision gets it again and is able to continue you know whatever direction they go i'm sure it'll be with the met with the same mindset because of the success of this game so yeah man 
just a long-winded answer. I will beat this dead horse constantly if you ask me about it. But yeah, the realistic factor was absolutely there. And, and that's what truly made this campaign so different and so amazing. And to Connor's point, it would be the reason why it's viable without having to be super into the multiplayer. You want that realism experience? If you're like me, you're just a big dummy and you're like, oh, what, what, what? you know, I, I kind of read about this stuff. I, I listen to people that were there, but like, how close can I get to it? Here you go. Play the game and you got it. You'll get all of it. You get the broad spectrum, man. You get the spec ops, you get the refugees, you get the rebels, you get Benghazi. I mean, you get it all, man. It's all here. Yeah. It's crazy. And the the perspectives are diverse. And I think I think what you said about it, it's not that it has dark themes. It's just it's just the door is kicked down, as you said. I think that is a much better way to say it. They're not gentle. Right. There, there is there is no dark theme. It's it doesn't use the killing or murder of civilians or the children in danger to like sell a story about like a really edgy dark bad guy in service of just being edgy. It doesn't. It does that because that's just their reality. The people that live in a place like Aleppo, the reality was they were caught in the middle of a, a civil war. And it was horrible. It was it was a horrible tragedy for them. And that is, if there is a theme in that game, the, the theme is the real world is a rough-ass place, especially in war-torn places. So here it is, unadulterated. Um, obviously, it is adulterated because it's a video game. But <laughs> like Austin, I mean, Austin harped that, harped that point a lot, so I won't. I won't. But uh that's Call of Duty Modern Warfare. I think next time, Austin, we, sh- we should shackle Spec Ops and multiplayer together. I think that makes more sense. What do you think? Oh, yeah, absolutely. We'll definitely... There's a lot... Well, not like a lot, but multiplayer is obviously a huge selling point for the Call of Duty franchise, uh, whether that's through Zombies, Spec Ops. You know, they yeah. had League Play in, in a lot of them, and the just the online, obviously, 6 versus 6 content, and then the introduction of Ground War, which... Uh, battlefield does and is a uh, popular game type there that's brought in and also they did battle royale and it was in the uh the most recent call of duty um before modern warfare they brought it in as Fortnite and PUBG and apex wars were really big call of duty decided to dive into that market and they have some pretty cool game modes and also a little different perspective or not perspectives, not the best word, but just a, a different gameplay style in a very small aspect that is pretty cool um, that they added. So we'll talk about that, and yeah, we'll, yeah. we'll definitely talk about how difficult Spec Ops is. Um, but yeah, it's, man, it, it should be good. Yeah. <laughs> next time, next time. Next time, exactly, exactly. Well, thank you, everybody, for listening. We appreciate it so much. Please, please rate our podcast on Podchaser, on uh, Apple, anywhere you listen to our podcast. It is super appreciated. Um, Austin, I have not checked the download numbers recently. I don't know if you know the number, but I know we're quickly approaching 1,000 downloads, and we are super, super thankful. We would love to hit that milestone with you guys and celebrate that. Uh, Maybe we'll do something kind of fun or kind of extra for that milestone. We'll, We'll have to talk about it, but... Uh, with that being said, boys, uh, this dive is not yet complete. We got one more segment, and then uh, we'll be back up for a fresh breath of air and a new topic. I think we're going to tackle altered carbon. We've been talking about it. 
Until then, we will see you guys later. Thanks for listening. Bye. Bye. (laughs) (laughs) Thanks for listening to this episode of Dweeb Dive. If you liked what you heard, please, please, please like and give us a follow so we can continue diving into your favorite topics. There's been a lot of hot takes. There's been a lot of claims, a lot of references to the deep lore. If you have a question, a comment, feedback, you're angry with me for something perhaps inaccurate, I said, which is very likely, please do not hesitate to reach out on our accounts and ask us the big questions. We would love to hear from you. Thanks, guys.